Good evening. Turn, if you would, tonight to Second Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles 32. It is good to see each of you tonight. We've got several people who are out sick this evening. We've got Lauren who is out, Barbara who is out, uh, Brother Frank and Miss Phyllis who are out, Brother Cecil who is out, and I don't know of anybody else, but uh, that's a good enough number for our church. So it's uh, good to see you all. Glad you're feeling well and able to be here tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 32 is where we're going to be uh, in a little bit, just to let you know. We're going to move away from Second Chronicles 32, but don't lose your place, all right? We're going to come back to it, and we're going to look at several verses tonight, and I hope that this will be a help to us as we wrap up this study of the life of Hezekiah, all right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, I'm thankful for the health that you've given us that allows us to be here this evening. I know that several are sick, just not feeling well. I pray that you'd be with them and give them strength and recovery. God, I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word tonight. Lord, that you'd use this to be a help to us, that, uh, that we would better understand some things, maybe, or just be reminded of it. And I pray that you'd help us to use it in our daily lives. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, I tried to uh, begin the sermon by giving us a timeline of the reign of Hezekiah there in the land of Israel, and we noticed that it was in the 14th year of his reign that he became sick, so much so that Isaiah came to him with a message from the Lord that said, get your house in order because you are going to die, you will not live. And so it was at that time that Hezekiah cried unto the Lord and asked the Lord basically to show mercy and to show grace. And that was when Hezekiah was able to experience the power of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God. And I talked about, and we didn't look at all the scripture last week, but we talked about how the text in Second Chronicles and in Isaiah seems to indicate this, that Hezekiah had struggled with and had failed, basically, in this area of pride as the kingdom did well, as the kingdom succeeded, and as things prospered and as things thrived. It seems as though he struggled with some pride and struggled or, or failed in that regard. And so there was Hezekiah being confronted with the reality of his sin and the consequence of it, and yet at the same time experiencing the grace and the power of God. And I talked about how many of us we can identify with Hezekiah because we have in our pride gotten ourselves into sin and there comes a point where God deals with our sin in such a way that it can no longer be denied. And uh, it's a painful, mixed emotion kind of a, an experience when that happens because when we finally deal with our sin, we get to enjoy the grace of God and the power of God, but we never quite forget what that felt like when it happened. And uh, it's something that we need to be sensitive toward in our spiritual lives. Would you agree? Okay, so that being said, tonight we're going to continue on, and as I just mentioned a moment ago, this will be our final study or our final message out of this uh, study of Hezekiah. I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot from this. I've, I've known of Hezekiah, but I, I've not known much about him, so it's been a help to me. But tonight I want to begin with two separate thoughts. The first thought will be very quick. The second thought will be just a little bit longer by way of detail or by way of explanation and what it is I'm trying to convey. But tonight I want to begin by asking you this question. Just see if this is true of you or not. But how many of us tonight would admit something to this effect that sometimes it can be a struggle to admit guilt on our part? 
Have you ever noticed that about yourself? It's something that I've noticed about myself at different times in my life. Uh, sometimes it can be difficult to admit guilt. There are times in life where it's so blatant and it's so obvious I can't even deny it. But there are times where you just, you know, you struggle to admit that you were the one, that I was the one in the wrong, that I was the one at fault. And so you understand what it is I'm saying. So that being said, I want us to switch gears a little bit and we'll tie all this together hopefully in the next couple of moments. But tonight I want us to think about something that we're all familiar with, I would imagine, to one extent or another. But how many of us have ever been aware or heard of some kind of an accident that takes place And as a result of the accident taking place, certain people who were involved in the accident have to be tested for drugs. Have you ever heard of a situation like that, a circumstance like that? Most of us have. And and so, you know, if the person's been involved in an accident or if several people have been involved in an accident, they have to go and they they have to submit themselves to some kind of a drug test. And, And isn't it amazing what a drug test can tell somebody? It either declares that a person is clean and that there was nothing in their system, or it will reveal just how much of certain chemicals or other uh, products, whatever it would be. uh, It's amazing how it reveals what is in that person's system. You get the report back and it may say something like this, the blood alcohol level was this, or there were traces of this particular drug, or there were traces of this found in their blood, whatever it may be. I don't know about you, but I find it amazing that from a few samples of blood, they can tell what all was a part of that person's system. I find it interesting. You don't need to tonight to to understand the flow of the sermon. I'm just saying I find that interesting. Now, that being the case... I don't know if you've ever experienced this or if you've ever heard somebody say something like this, but when the report comes back from the drug test, though it is painfully clear what was in the person's system, they still want to argue it. Right? Oh, no, 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 that's a mistake. No, 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 I hadn't been doing that. Well, the test shows that you have been. And it's not like a trace amount, it's like a substantial amount. And no, 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 I'm not guilty of that. You've got it all wrong. No, no, you need to do that again. Well, sir, we can't do it again. Or ma'am, we can't do it again because it's several, you know, days after the fact or whatever it may be. But you understand this, right? Because people don't want to admit guilt that if something were to come back against them that doesn't really portray them in the most favorable of lights, uh, they want to deny it and act as though it couldn't be them who was guilty of such an offense. All right. So you tie all that together, and here's what I want us to think about. And again, this is just a principle that I want us to give some consideration to, and that would be this, is that there's kind of a a beautiful thing that happens in a situation like where a drug test takes place and, and it's found that a person has chemicals, drugs, whatever it may be in their system. Here's what it does. It reveals to everyone on the outside what was really going on on the inside. And it can no longer be hidden. So that little test, that little procedure, what that person had to go through, no matter how much they may deny it, it reveals on the outside what was true on the inside. Now if we think about that, tonight I want us to look in chapter 32 of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 32, 
And keep in mind as we look at this first part of the text tonight that this is before the illness of Hezekiah that we dealt with and looked at last week. So if you look there in verse number 23 of chapter 32, it says this, And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem, and presents to Hezekiah king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. So again, in these first few years of his reign, what what would have been in the first 14 years for sure, it says in verse number 23 that there were many who brought gifts to the Lord there in Jerusalem, and they also brought presents unto Hezekiah. Now, some are of the opinion, and it seems to make sense, that Hezekiah would have gained this notoriety and they would have gained this recognition as a result of what God did on behalf of Hezekiah and Israel in relation to the attack that Assyria had brought against Israel in the days, months, or years prior. Okay, That it was because of what God had done in an amazing way that allowed Hezekiah to reach this status that he reached and to have the notoriety that he enjoyed. And so as you think about that, that lends itself or leads itself to to help people think and to somewhat conclude that it was the pride that led Hezekiah into the sickness that he dealt with, because it's not just that, but in addition to, to what is said in verse number 23, if you notice in verse number 26, it says this, "...notwithstanding Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah." And so whenever it says in verse number 26 that Hezekiah humbled himself, you can really only humble yourself if you've been struggling with pride, correct? Okay, and so it says he humbled himself, and then it kind of spells it out for us, if you didn't want to amen that. It kind of spells it out for us because it says that he humbled himself for the pride of his heart. So here is Hezekiah, and what did he struggle with? He struggled with some pride, and that seems to be at least a contributing factor to the sickness that he dealt with that we looked at last week. So that being said, here is what we know from last week's message in the review that I just gave us. We know that Hezekiah recovered, and he recovered fully. Did he not? Amen. He did. And so here is what we understand from last week's message. And if we know the story, we know that Hezekiah was going to be given 15 more years of life. 15 more years of life. So I want us to think about this. If Hezekiah was extremely sick in the 14th year of his reign, but he's got 15 more years of a reign there in the land of Israel, what position does he still hold? Well, he still holds the position of king, does he not? He does. Okay, I'm going to give you really simple questions tonight, okay? I'm just, I'm proud you're here. So he would still be the king of Israel for the next 15 years. With that position, it would no doubt bring about the same responsibilities he had known in the first 14 years of his reign. Correct. All right. So here's what most of us would know, and here's what most of us would agree to, even if we had to do so a little bit reluctantly. We know this, that sometimes people have kind of a bad memory when it comes to learning lessons that ought be learned. 
You know, it's like, well, that happened in the past, and that happened at some point, you know, a few years ago, whatever it may be, and and I don't care what it was, I don't care when it was, as life goes on, people have a tendency to forget some of the life lessons they learned at some point in the past. So you think about Hezekiah, and he's still the king of Israel. He still has responsibilities that he has to take care of. He still has positions that he has to fulfill. And and he's got all these different things required of him as the king of Israel. And so the further that he is removed from the sickness, the easier it becomes to forget some of what he dealt with and had to be challenged by and learn however many days he was removed from that moment in his life. So that in mind, you look in verse number 27, and it says this, after the sickness. It says, And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor. He had exceeding much riches and honor. If you're not sure what that means, I'll just explain it very quickly. It means he was rich. He was very rich. He enjoyed a level of wealth that most people will never know, will never understand, and can only imagine or dream of in their minds. And not only did he continue to abound in his wealth, he continued to abound in his honor and the respect that he uh, received from other nations and from other people. And so notice in verse number 27, 28, and 29, how it begins to show us how his wealth was accumulated and, and what he had. It says in verse number 27, And he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels. All that means is this, is he had to build places to store things like silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and other pleasant jewels. It's a good position to be in from a human standpoint, right? It'd be like having a bank account that was growing larger and larger and larger on a daily basis, so much so that you finally got to a point where you said, I can't keep up with all of it, I just know it's a lot. That'd be an enjoyable position, humanly speaking, to be at, right? I think it would be. Verse number 28, it says this. In addition to everything in verse 27, he had storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beast and coats or stalls for flocks. So we don't know what all the different beasts would have been, but he had stalls built for them in addition to the stalls built for all the flocks that he had. Verse number 30, moreover, he provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him abundance very much. So here is Hezekiah, and what does he have? Repeatedly it says this, that he had an abundance of possessions. He had an abundance of stuff. He had an abundance of items. And notice it says in verse number 29 that it was God who had given him the substance that he enjoyed. So who was responsible for the blessings that he enjoyed in his life? Well, it would have been God. 
So as you consider everything that Hezekiah enjoyed from a worldly perspective, all the wealth, all the possessions, all the, all the representations of, of financial security in their day, in verse number 30 you read of some of the accomplishments other than his wealth. It says, This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all his works. So everything that Hezekiah endeavored to do He succeeded in and he did well. God blessed him immensely. So that in mind, turn over now to 2 Kings chapter 20. And don't lose your place unless you just want to. 2 Kings chapter 20 is where we're going to be now for just a couple of moments. Most of you are familiar with this portion of Scripture, I would assume. But this is after Hezekiah has been healed from the sickness. Things have been amassed by way of wealth and possessions and flocks and lands and everything that God blessed him with. And so in verse number 12 it says, At that time, Berodak Beladan, the son of, uh, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So at some point after the sickness, at some point after this illness that nearly took Hezekiah's life, the king of Babylon sent ambassadors, which included his son, to Hezekiah, to present unto Hezekiah some gifts or some presents. So in verse number 13... It says, and Hezekiah hearkened unto them. What does it mean to hearken unto them? It means this, that he gave them attention. Now, as you think about that, that may or may not send up any red flags in your mind, but think about the Babylonian people. They were not exactly known for being a godly nation, correct? They were not exactly known to be the allies of Israel. At the very most, really, All Hezekiah should have been to these ambassadors was cordial and polite and grateful for whatever present they brought. But after that, he really should have sent them on their way because Hezekiah really didn't have a need or a reason to entertain them in the way that he would. Well, how did he entertain them? Well, in verse number 13 it says, And Hezekiah hearkened unto them, And showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Verse number 13 makes this very clear that when the ambassadors of Babylon arrived to Jerusalem, arrived there in Israel to the palace where Hezekiah would have been, rather than cordially accepting whatever present they brought and sending them on their way, what Hezekiah did was this. 
is he showed them all around. He showed them how much gold he had, how much silver he had, how many shields he had acquired, how much land he owned, how many beasts he owned, how many flocks he had. All the things that Hezekiah had, the scripture said he showed them every bit of it. I found this interesting as I was reading about this text this week. One of the commentators said, It's worthwhile to take note of this, that of all the things Hezekiah showed the ungodly from Babylon, there is no record that he once took them to the temple and showed them the house of the Lord. There's no record that he took them to the house of the Lord and said, this is where we worship Jehovah God. This is the one who is responsible for all the blessings that I've been given. It's interesting, if you think about it, to to note this truth, that the Scripture does not say anything about Hezekiah pointing them to the God they served. What did Hezekiah show them? He showed them everything he had everything he had amassed. So what he pointed them to was not the God of Israel, but he pointed him to himself. He pointed them to himself. See this? Now, now, now just as you think about that, consider this. Why would a person make everything with strangers about themselves. If Hezekiah is sitting in the palace one day and somebody comes to him and says, Sir, we've got some people here, some ambassadors from Babylon, and they'd like to to visit with you, and they'd like some of your time, and they've come with some official letters, and and they've come with some presents, and, and they'd like to visit with you for a little bit. If Hezekiah begins to entertain these people, and he begins to show them everything he has, what does that appear, or what does it appear as though Hezekiah may be dealing with or struggling with one more time. His pride. His arrogance. See, if you were to come to my house and I didn't know you, and I said, hey, come here, sit on that couch. You know how much we paid for that couch? First of all, you wouldn't be impressed, but I'm just saying, you would find it awkward, right? Like, why is he telling me about his couch and how much he paid for it? Oh, yeah, you see that dining room table? Let me tell you where we got that. Let me tell you how much we paid for that. You'd be like, okay. Not sure why I need to know that. Well, come on, I got some bedroom furniture. We just got some bedroom furniture. Oh, you're going to love the bedroom furniture. And did I tell you by any chance how much money I've got in the bank? See, if I did that to you, you would leave the house unimpressed. But if, if I did that to you, like, that's all you got in the bank? Yeah, but uh, no. If I did that to you, though, you would leave, rightfully so, saying, that guy is stuck on himself. There's no other explanation for it. So here is Hezekiah showing them, the ambassadors, everything that he has amassed. And any person with any level of common sense would say, Hezekiah was still very, very proud of himself. So in verse number 14, notice what it says next. 
It says, Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Hezekiah just comes right out and says it. I've shown them everything. Everything that I possess, everything that I have, I have shown it to them. So in verse number 16, Isaiah has a message for him. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. Hezekiah, there's coming a day that the judgment of God is going to fall upon this land and everything you have shown to the ambassadors of Babylon, when Babylon takes over Israel, they are going to take everything you have amassed and they will carry it for themselves back to Babylon. Now I trust you know that we could go a lot of different directions with that thought right there. But we're not going to. It says in verse number 18, And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? And so in verse 20 and 21, it tells how the days of Hezekiah were lived out. But Isaiah came to Hezekiah with a message of judgment based upon, once again, a, a reflection or a manifestation of the pride of Hezekiah. So go back now to Second Chronicles 32. As you find your place back in Second Chronicles 32, I'd like us to consider this question. How did this happen? How did this happen? How did this take place? How is it that Hezekiah managed to do this once more, what he had done with the ambassadors from Babylon? Well, notice in verse number 31, we have the answer given. It says, How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him. Who did God leave? Well, that would be a reference to Hezekiah. As the ambassadors from Babylon came to Israel to visit with Hezekiah, the scripture says that God left Hezekiah. Now what does that mean whenever it says God left him? Does it mean that God abandoned him? That God forsook him? That, that God rejected Hezekiah? No, that's not what the word means here. But what it means is this. It's the idea of stepping away from someone. 
It might be something like this. When you have shown somebody what to do, and it's now their time to perform, and as a result of it now being their time to perform, you step back to see how they're going to do. You're not going to do it for them any longer. You're not going to hold their hand. You're not going to walk them through the process. You'll not be their safety net. You're going to step back and just watch how they do. We've all been in positions like that, have we not? So here is what is happening. The ambassadors from Babylon are coming, and God, who obviously is omniscient, who understands everything, here is what he does. He steps back from uh, Hezekiah, and it says that he left him for this purpose to try him. What does that mean? That means to test him. To test him or to prove him. God intentionally stepped back from the situation so that Hezekiah might be tested as to how he would respond in a situation like he would soon find himself. So here is the, the, the king, Hezekiah, the ambassadors have come. And of course, he doesn't know what God in heaven has done, but God has stepped back. He is going to let Hezekiah go through this process in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. What does that mean? It means this. Hezekiah, I will allow you to be tested for this purpose so that it can be revealed externally what you are right now internally. I'm going to allow you to go through a test. I am going to allow you to go through a procedure. And here is what it will do. It will test who you are in your heart. It will test who you are internally. And as a result of the test that I will allow you to go through, it will be made known for others to see, not who you would like them to see externally, but who you are internally. It will be revealed to you and it will be revealed to everyone else around you. And so how did Hezekiah find himself in this position? Because God said, I'm going to step back for a little bit. I'm going to let Hezekiah be tested and I am going to allow it to reveal everything that is in his heart. And when Hezekiah was given the chance to reveal what was in his heart, you know what came out? Pride. Pure pride and nothing else. That's why he took the ambassadors all over the land and said, let me tell you about all the stuff I've got, even though the scripture clearly says that it was God who gave it to him. I had another question as I worked through this. I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. All we could do is speculate, surmise, and try to sound smart. But here's the question I asked myself. Before this happened, before the ambassadors came, before the test was given, before what was inside was revealed and made known, before Isaiah confronted Hezekiah and said what he had to say, did Hezekiah realize his heart was filled with pride once more? I don't know. 
But it seems to me that if Hezekiah was a normal individual, Hezekiah, the further he got away from that sickness, the further he got away from that illness that really got his attention, however long it had been, it just seems to make sense that Hezekiah would have naturally assumed, I'm okay. Until the test revealed, no, son, you're still full of pride. And so as I thought about that, I thought about this. Tonight, by way of application, I thought about us and the fact that we tend to think we're pretty decent people, right? I touched on this last week, and so don't get offended that, that it seems like it's overlap. I know it's overlap, and it's okay, okay? But, but we have a tendency, do we not, to, to think we're pretty decent people? Why do we think we're pretty decent people? Because we struggle to admit guilt and fault sometimes, don't we? It's not what my flesh naturally wants to do. So if you were to come to me and say, are you a sinner? Are you a flawed person? I would be more than happy to respond with yes. But past that, I don't, we're, I, listen, I don't really want you probing into what my struggles are. Because I don't want to admit the fault and the flaws and the guilt that is associated with, associated with my sinful fallen nature. And so if you said to me, do you struggle with anger? I would say something like this, oh, occasionally, but not that bad. Well, well do you struggle with your attitude? Oh, I mean, every once in a while. I, you know, I might struggle with my attitude every once in a while, but no, I, no. And generally speaking, my attitude's pretty good. Why do I say that? Because I don't want to admit any kind of fault or guilt specifically about my life. Well, well, do you struggle with your thought process? Do you struggle with lust? Do you struggle with, with a, a lack of faith? Do you struggle with this? And whatever you would throw at me, unless you caught me on a really transparent day, you know what I'd say? No. I mean, yeah, I mean, I have issues, but. So then what happens? In our lives, what happens in your life, what happens in my life? Okay, well, th this seems to be something that happens for me. It's almost as though God steps back and says, Oh, tell you what we'll do, we'll test you. So we're going to let certain things come into your life to kind of see hmm, where you're really at. And what we'll do is, as you are allowed to be tested, we're going to let the results kind of speak for themselves. We'll see if there are any traces of this. We'll find if there are any traces of this. We'll, we'll see if there's any large indications of this in your life. Or, or we'll see if you come back clean. Now I can say, as I think many of you would say, I think there are times that I've been tested that I've been able to, to come out of the test and say, praise the Lord, by the grace of God, I, I came out of that one unscathed. I held my tongue when I didn't want to hold my tongue. I didn't respond in the way that my flesh wanted to respond. But there are times, for me, maybe not for you, 
But there are times that I'm thinking I'm doing really good. Everything's fine. I don't struggle with that like I used to. So the Lord steps back. He allows a test to take place. And then you know what I'm confronted with? You're not as good on the inside as you'd like everybody to think you are on the outside. If you were so good, why did you just respond that way? If you're so good, why is it that you're still thinking that way? If you're so good, why is it that you're acting that way? If you're so good, why did those words come out of your mouth? If you're so good, then, then how did this happen? Have you ever had those moments where you realized, I'm not everything I thought I was? It's an unenjoyable position. We know that if we're honest. So we're kind of embarrassed, we're humiliated, we're ashamed, we realize just how fallen we are. And how many of us have ever said something like this? I will not make that mistake again. I will not talk that way ever again. I will not express myself that way ever again. I'm not going to watch that ever again. I'm never going to visit with that person again. I'm going to get my priorities right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do good from here on out as it relates to that. Have we ever made those declarations? Sure we have. And so what happens? We get further removed from that spot where we totally blew it. And as we get further removed from that spot where we totally blew it, well, the memory kind of fades, doesn't it? It does. We don't have to admit it. It does. I'll just throw one out here for you. This has happened to me on many occasions. You say something and you say, oh, what a, what a, what a knucklehead. Why did I say that? And so for the next several days, I'm praying, Lord, guard my tongue. Lord, help me with my mouth. Help me to not say those types of things. And, and, and I'm doing really good praying about it for a couple of weeks maybe. And then, you know, I'm a couple of weeks away from making a fool of myself, expressing myself in a way that I shouldn't have done it. And so I stop praying about it. And, and I'm thinking, boy, I'm really good. And so you know what the Lord does? He steps back. And what does he allow? He allows another test. And what does that test do? It reveals on the outside what I really am on the inside. I just wonder how many times we've been tested spiritually and over and over and over again, we come back with negative test results. Like not positive. I don't know if that's right medically, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that, that's not really what I wanted revealed about myself. You ever been there? Sure. I just said two weeks ago I wasn't going to do it, and now I'm doing it. I just said not too long ago, God, if you give me help and if you give me grace, I'm never going to make that mistake again. And here I am. I just blew it. See, God is going to test us and he's going to allow us to be tested. He's going to allow us to, to have those moments where we are able to be seen on the outside who we are on the inside. And more times than not, 
for some of us at least, we have those Hezekiah moments where, we're, where we are repeating the same issue that we were dealing with previously, however far back you want to look. And though that is true of many of us, I want us to understand something tonight. I know that you know this, but I just want to remind us of this. It doesn't have to be that way. We are able to have victory. We are able to yield ourselves to the power and to the help and the grace of the Holy Spirit so that when we are tested, we can actually come back clean. But you and I have to be living in such a way that it is our desire to live a life that is yielded unto his control. And if you and I are not conscious of that, if you and I are not mindful of that, then here's what will happen is over and over and over again, we will gradually slide back into the same struggles, the same faults, and the same issues that we have been dealing with for years. If we're not mindful of it, we'll not yield ourselves to him like we should, and the test will always reveal same problem, same issue, just another time around. And so tonight, you may sit here and you may say, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Because just this week, I did the very thing that I said I wasn't going to do again. You're not alone but it doesn't justify it. You don't have to repeat the same mistakes. I don't have to repeat the same mistakes, but we have to be yielded to God's authority if we want to get the victory. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you would help us to be honest about who we are and where we're at. God, that we would not struggle with our pride that would keep us from admitting that we fail, that we have faults and flaws. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see that sometimes we are like Hezekiah. We're dealing with the same things over and over and over again because we're not really yielding those things to you in our lives on a daily basis like we should. So I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be sensitive to that, to have a desire to correct that. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.